ICE Theatres, the market's most immersive and high-end premium format. Because the light shall be treated like sound coming from everywhere. Discover the ICE Theatres experience and embark on an immersive odyssey beyond reality. ICE Theatres, meet us at CinemaCon with 2113A. Well, I'll tell you, I think the theatrical side of the business is still recovering, but its trend line is very positive. The success of Top Gun Maverick and more recently Avatar, The Way of Water, which, by the way, now stands as the third highest grossing film in history at $2.3 billion. But not to mention the new release of Super Mario, which had the largest worldwide opening for an animated film in history, tells you a whole lot. And it confirms once again the value of the theatrical openings and the reality that audiences are hungry for that cinema experience. This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Daniel Luria, the editorial director of Box Office Pro, the pulse of theatrical exhibition, here with my colleague and co-host, Rebecca Pauly, deputy editor at Box Office Pro. And in today's daily episode of our special CinemaCon edition brought to you by Ice Theaters, we're going to be going all of the highlights of day one at CinemaCon, insights from the panel sessions, and from Sony's studio presentation that kicked off the week. And in our feature segment, we're going to be hearing from the Motion Picture Association's Charlie Rivkin in a great interview going over his confidence for theatrical exhibition going into 2023. Rebecca, we're finally in Vegas. It's been a very busy first day. Correct me if I'm wrong. Last night at our press dinner, were you drinking a pint of rosé? No, no, no. It was a fancy Swedish Scandinavian cider of some sort. I would it ne- looked like a pint of rosé. I would never drink any serious alcohol at CinemaCon, Daniel. Please. No, no, especially especially on a Sunday. You have to start slow and build up. up. Yeah. Though it's not what CinemaCon does because Monday always seems to be the longest day. We start with International Day and then the, in the afternoon move into the more general show. I feel like I've been here for five days already. I mean, it feels like this last <laughs> day has been a week. Yeah, no, it's, it's just one of those, the first couple of miles in a marathon. Like yeah. yeah, the first couple of miles in a marathon are always the toughest. That's what it feels like right now, but it's it was an exciting day that we're going to be going over shortly. Let's start like we always do in this series, Rebecca, going over the schedule highlights for today, Tuesday, April 25th. An early day here at 8.30 a.m. at the Coliseum with a State of the Industry presentation, followed by the Warner Brothers Slate presentation that starts at 8.30 a.m. And at 11, Rebecca, one of your favorite parts of the show starts... Oh, is that, I don't, I don't remember what they call it, but I call it just going through the trade show floor and stuffing as much candy in my face as I possibly can. Is that what you were referring to? Technically, it's called the trade show. Okay. The second part is just what we do when we're there. But uh, yes, the trade show opens at 11 a.m. Our sponsors, Ice Theaters, is going to be giving out special prices, having contests, games, a lot of activities. That's booth number 2113A at the trade show floor. We've also got our supporting sponsor, Park VIP, over at booth 1016J. Don't forget to stop by. And thanks to both Ice Theaters and Park VIP for their support of the CinemaCon edition of the Box Office Podcast. 
And at 4.45 p.m., we won't be there, but uh, probably the rest of the working press will. Rebecca, what's going on? There is the first ever screening of The Flash from Warner Brothers. We got an email, very stern. You know, we don't have the embargo. The embargo on this hasn't been set yet. Do not spoil anything. It's lips are sealed. And yeah, we'll be doing other things, so we won't see it. I can't imagine that, I mean, last year... Top Gun Maverick was a screening yeah. that everyone was, was raving about. I can't imagine anything's going to top that. But hey, you know, I'm ready to be surprised. As far as we possibly can, we'll be giving you, you know, some accounts, some reactions, general, no, no spoilers, nothing that's going to upset our friends at Warner Brothers. But we will be uh, giving some of those reactions and the sentiment coming out of that flash screening tomorrow. But we do have a lot to talk about today, Rebecca, before we get into that Sony presentation and before our colleague from the Motion Picture Association, Charlie Rivkin comes on for the feature interview segment. Let's go over the panels. International Day was packed. A lot to go over, but let's start with that 10.45 a.m. panel yesterday, on Monday, as you guys are listening to this, that our CEO, Julian Marcel, moderated with Tony Chambers, the head of distribution over at Disney, and Jane Hastings, the CEO of Event Cinemas out of Australia. Now, uh, spoiler alert for our listeners, we're going to have large segments of this panel session available in this podcast series on Friday. The Friday episode is going to include about half an hour of this panel that's coming at the end of the week. We're not going to reveal too much, but there were main points here, Rebecca, that I think tied, not tied together, I think set the stage mm-hmm. for what CinemaCon 2023 is shaping up to be. Absolutely. And and there's some points that were, it's hard to say, echoed when it came before this, but in the earlier International Day presentations, those keynote presentations, we see the same points kind of getting brought up by exhibitors, by studio representatives. Obviously, as we've been talking about on this podcast forever, the importance of premium formats in bringing back movie theaters. Event Cinemas, the chain in Australia, New Zealand, and Germany, we actually have an interview with Jane Hastings in the CinemaCon issue of our magazine. One of the interesting things they do is they just have a ton of different premium concepts, a ton of different kinds of seating is is one of their really big priorities. They emphasize having different premium experiences for different price points. And yeah, that's something that has been echoed across, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of CinemaCon so far. Yeah, you know, you mentioned that different price points for different types of audiences. It reminds me of something that Ajay Bijli, who you interviewed, actually, he's that interview is going to be part of the Thursday episode mm-hmm. of this podcast series. But Ajay Bijli, the uh, CEO of the PVR Inox Super Circuit in India, it's something he said during his International Day keynote, how... In India, you have so many different audience segments and really people that make a lot of money, not that much money. Cinema is a great equalizer, right? It's a, mm-hmm. it's a place where everybody goes to. They've got different experiences through PVR Inox, priced between $2 per ticket to $20 per ticket. Mm-hmm. Event Cinemas out of Australia, very similar. And I think it connects to something that Tony Chambers in that panel session uh, that we're going to be having on the podcast on Friday brought up as his two priorities – for theatrical exhibition to really maximize its connection with audiences today. Tony Chambers, that's the head of distribution over at Disney here at CinemaCon, really hitting two points. Number one, creating urgency to go to the movies. And number two, emphasize theatricality 
of the movie going experience. The example that he brought up is uh, PLF auditoriums, right? We know just how important PLF has been in the return from the pandemic. And that's something that creates urgency because those premium screens, those premium showtimes, there's a lot of turnover, right? You want to watch it on IMAX, you want to watch it on ICE, on D-Box, you're going to have to go within the first week, maybe the first two, and it's only something you can do in a theater. That premium experience is not something you'll be able to enjoy from the home, no matter how good your home entertainment system is. On the flip side, Daniel, I mean, you look at those medium and small movies, the ones that are not going to be on the PLF screens, the ones that in the past few years we've seen increasingly go to streaming. Something that was asked actually, I believe during the Q&A portion of that panel is, with those small movies, you have consumers who there's no sense of urgency maybe because they're gonna go on streaming in two weeks, three weeks. If we knew how to solve that, if we knew the answer to that question, we'd be rich. Uh, well, we I'll, I'll propose a solution that a lot of circuits but, are doing. But, but the raise the those. standard okay. of the traditional standard auditorium. Mm-hmm. Not only raise the standard, maybe even if you can, lower the price. And we'll be getting into that conversation Fairly. in a little bit because that was a big part of today's panel. Pri- pricing, pricing has been talked about, you know, across all of the panels. I think it's a thorny topic, definitely, for, for reasons that, you know, we'll go into more detail on. It's It's a conversation that you can't just cover it in 90 seconds and no. say, okay, we got, we got and it. And it's a conversation that, listen, when a bunch of colleagues and competitors in an industry talk about something like that in conjunction, they have to be very careful about not overstepping their boundaries and getting an antitrust case thrown on them. So it's always something very complicated, but it is something that the industry is addressing. Yes, premium formats are what audiences are going to. And that's something that Jane Hastings said during this panel. She, she said, quote, Younger audiences are prepared to pay for experiences, even when they're not so prepared to pay for products. I think that rings true, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of folks that might be getting priced out of going to the movies or might be getting scared of going to the movies because of that sticker shock. I mean, younger folks, we're seeing uh, our our crop of interns we may have mentioned on this podcast before. I mean, even if movie theaters, you know, there are options, there are subscription programs, there are discount days to bring down that price. But the public perception, you know, when you only go to see maybe an Avatar 2 and you splash out and you do 3D, your perception of the average ticket price might be wildly different from the reality. And, and really, I don't say that to imply, oh, they should have known better. Oh, they're they're incorrect. It's a it's a marketing issue. It's a failure of messaging in a way. Oh, totally. And I think that's something that the industry has to address as soon as possible. But it's hard to sort of understand where the audience is because by and large, audiences we've seen are willing to pay more for that premium ticket. They're drawn to these premium format experiences for a reason. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I, I do agree there is a disconnect. There's a failure in messaging about what the price value proposition is across all these different types of auditoriums. In several of the panels also, we've seen kind of the disparity between the reality and kind of the perception be brought up. It was brought up multiple times. I know, generally this is one of your favorite, favorite topics is um, calling out the people in maybe the more consumer-oriented press who misrepresent facts about the industry. It was something Jane Hastings brought up in that panel that people are saying, oh, senior audiences aren't coming back. Oh, kid, family movies aren't coming back. Oh, it's a failure. Duh, 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 the sky is falling. A point that she brought up in that panel is that... No, they come back if the movies are there. That's a great quote that she had. She basically said, there's not been a return of customers. 
There's a return of films. The customers have always been there. That got a round of applause during the panel sessions, and it echoed something that Tim Richards from View International, one of the biggest circuits in Europe, a huge multinational, also said during a panel on the National Cinema Day initiatives. Tim Richards saying, we don't have a customer problem, we have a movie supply problem. And I think that really is something that is being finally solved in this industry with this crop of second quarter releases in 2023. And we're seeing that momentum in the box office finally. But now that it's there, now that we can count on the movie supply being a little bit more stable than it has been for what, like three years, it's time to address all the other problems that may be scaring away audiences or potential audiences from coming back that often. We know they come back for the Spider-Man. They know they came back for Avatar, mm. for Top Gun. Great. Three of the highest grossing movies of all time globally coming after the pandemic. We need them to come back for the mid-range movies. We need them to come back every month or every other month, not once a year, not once every other quarter. That's the challenge. And that's where that National Cinema Day panel came in and brought a whole new range of topics into the conversation. Now, for our audience, if you remember, National Cinema Day happened last year on September 3rd. Rebecca, what's your elevator pitch of what that concept was here in the US? All movie tickets, all movies, all formats, three bucks. That's all you need to say, three bucks. And in that in that panel, I mean, that was one of the points that was brought up by uh, Edward Acuna of Cinepolis is that it's, there's a simplicity of messaging there. You know, Cine National Cinema Day, you know, it came together very quickly. It was the first time that it was being done in the North American market. So, you know, you don't want it to get out too soon. You don't want it to get leaked. You know, there's a lot of moving pieces for the first incarnation of this. You know, that was something that got brought up in the panel, the positives and the negatives, as expressed by Chris Aronson of Paramount in that panel. Maybe he wishes there had been a little more communication, a little more heads up. No one saw it coming. That was the whole thing of National Cinema Day last year. Now, it was an initiative, if you guys remember listening to this, where it seemed like nothing was coming out in theaters. And it was a weekend. I think it was over it Labor was Day the, weekend. It was the, Jaw, the Jaws re-release was, I think, the big The, the big, big movie, movie that's coming what, out that's that what weekend. I saw on so Cinema it was Day, a so. weekend where there were really no new releases coming out. It was a slow time in the market. The Cinema Foundation took an initiative of, like you said, every movie ticket in every auditorium, premium or not, Every showtime is going to be $3. It was designed to be a way to reconnect audiences with the movie-going experience. And we've been getting some results of that. And I think this panel was very interesting. We had Chris Aronson, the president of domestic distribution over at Paramount, poking holes at some of the, let's say, first results and first lessons from that experience. And exhibitors like Tim Richards from VIEW and Eduardo Acuña, the head of the Americas for Cinepolis, going into what they liked, what they didn't like. We also had Bobby back before from uh, B&B Theaters there speaking uh, in this session. Like you mentioned, I think everybody on that panel agreed, distributors and exhibitors alike, that they would have appreciated a more lead time, more of a heads up on it. I mean, that was also something that was brought up in other panels in regards to marketing for specific films. We want yeah. more lead time. Everyone wants more lead time. It's understandable. At a certain point, it's go time, right? At a certain point, you have to pick a date and go with mm -hmm. it. And that's that's what happened with National Cinema Day, first time out. And the second thing that I think uh, everyone is sort of agreed on is that a single day mm -hmm. on a weekend probably isn't going to be what National Cinema Day looks like if it happens again. It doesn't it doesn't it doesn't work 
in the situation that we're in now, thank God, where we actually have movies coming out. You know, it was right. a very unique circumstance where we had a weekend where nothing was out, where, you know, luckily families did come back and did see, for example, DC League of Super Pets, did see films that had kind of been in the theaters for a few weeks without really gaining much traction about audiences. But yeah, it was interesting. I feel like we were kind of seeing in real time the wheels turning for what National Cinema Day will look like in the future, if it happens. It's not confirmed yet. But that was something that was kind of, uh, I think, agreed upon by all the panelists that A, has to be during the weekday. Yeah. There's no reason to and why one day? And why one day? Value. It can be multiple, multiple days. Multiple days. It can be Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. That happens in a lot of countries. When you have these discount days, it's usually not on a weekend. That cannibalizes your audience. It's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, something like that. And it has to be, and this is crucial, part of a wider conversation on pricing. Well, it just can't be a one-off. Well, Chris Aronson was saying, I mean, it was one of his concerns. I mean, he's, he's someone who's incredibly vocal about, you know, ins and outs of the industry about pricing. And he's, you know, he, he, he brought it up. He, you know, it's a difficult topic. But he said, you know, you can't have a $3 ticket and then the next day if you want to go back to the movies, it's $20. You can't do that. It's not going to work. Not long term. No. There has to be, I think, a, a wider conversation around this. And it's hard to have these conversations as an industry. Like we said, there's Nobody wants to get in trouble with the law. Yeah. Yeah, but, but yeah, I mean, we did see that National Senate Day for all the, you know, ways that it maybe didn't quite work perfectly to everyone's satisfaction. Of course, not what has the past yeah. few years. You know, there is real potential there. Bobby Bagby Ford saying that there are people who had not been to the, back to the cinema since the pandemic who signed up for their loyalty program for the very first time on that National Cinema Day. Subsequently, they did come back. Another fact that I really liked is she said at BNB theaters, people were kind of experimenting outside of their chosen genre, which they know because it's another topic that's been brought up a lot so far in CinemaCon, the importance of data in marketing, the fact that exhibitors are the ones who have all this granular data on their customers. So another important factor. Yeah, and the importance of sharing that data and working with distribution, exhibition, and in making strong strategies and decisions based on, on this mutual data that benefits the entire industry. We're still operating in these data silos. It doesn't look like anyone wants to take the first step and solve it. But I will say, I'll give a lot of uh, credit to Eduardo Acuña from Cinepolis because he shared some insights on the pricing conversation for Cinepolis, big multinational circuit. They're all over the world. They've got cinemas in, in many countries in Latin America. He brought up examples uh, beyond discount days or national cinema days or weeks. He actually went in and gave examples within his circuit of what happened when they lowered ticket prices. Spoiler alert, people like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, God forbid, right? So uh, the, the two hard data facts that he came in with was in Colombia around the 2000s. The price went down by around 15% in their cinemas and their revenue went up by 30%. Now, 15% might not seem like much. I mean, if you're charging, let's say, a $20 ticket, that ticket's 17 bucks, right? It doesn't make a massive difference. If you're one person, if you're a family. It's different, right? Yeah. And we've been seeing the family box office struggle a little bit. The other example that Eduardo Acuña brought up was in Mexico. And I think this is a very different market conditions when we talk about the Mexican market, right? It's two major players that dominate most overwhelming majority of the screens. But whenever you have that situation, it was that pricing race to the bottom. Mm. They were competing on who could sell a cheaper ticket price. Little did they know they were really helping 
drive up revenue and ticket sales by going lower against one another that's and driving the, prices down. It helped a, the box office. Record years in Mexico <laughs> by this price war going down to the bottom. So it's interesting how Cinepolis can step back and say, listen, we've been in this business for decades. We operate cinemas all over the world. These are the lessons that we've taken from other markets. That's I think that's the best part of going to an event like CinemaCon, where you can sit down and listen to this sort of expertise from exhibitors and listen to pushback from distributors when they say, hey, is this working all the way? Listening to that back and forth of, um, I mean, when you lower prices for a national cinema day or a discount day or, or whatever the case may be, you know, studios get a cut of ticket prices. Studios don't get a cut of concessions. So right. when you have a lot of people going to the cinema on a national cinema day, your concession spend goes up. I mean, yeah, that's great for you. Yeah, <laughs> that's wonderful no, for you. I, I think it's great. But that's something that was also, I think, brought up about future incarnations in National Cinema Day, pairing it with concessions discounts, which... I think some circuits, to be fair, I do think individual AMC circuits did that, did that right? Yes. I, but I, I definitely ate that discount popcorn with my jaws on X greeting. I'll, I'll give you an example. I think it's part of the three, the simplicity, right? $3 ticket, you know, all auditoriums, all movies, all show times. If you can also bring in $3 all popcorn, that helps, right? I mean, or $3 all candy. And if you do that circuit wide across multiple circuits, it's an easier message to sell as opposed to going and finding out, oh, there's no concessions discount here or there is there. It's about finding some sort of unity in this. And what I do take away from this, and it seems like there was a lot of pushback on National Cinema Day from this panel. There wasn't. There was genuine engagement I with mean, the concept if, and, if, and if a people, willingness if, to improve it. If people didn't want to do it, if people were like, oh, that's a complete failure, we wouldn't have had the panel in the first place. I, yeah, I genuinely believe that. And it's something interesting that I think Chris Aronson from Paramount said in that panel. They weren't behind it originally. When they heard that we were like, hey, we're, our, our split from a $3 ticket, that's going to hurt us that weekend. Yeah. But at the same time, you know Paramount. They're willing to take a lot of risks in this leadership team. They got behind it. And I think they came out of it not saying, let's not do it ever again. They came out of it saying, let's just, improve just, it. Just talk to me first next yeah, time. Yeah, <laughs> give me a heads up and let's make it better when we do it again. I think that's the big takeaway from the day one of panels here at CinemaCon. And of course, everything leads into the big studio presentation that kicks off CinemaCon 2023. Rebecca, let's talk Sony because the last time I saw Will Smith on a screen, he was physically assaulting a person. Well, this is, uh, he was on deck with Martin Lawrence, not, he did not, well, I don't know, they were filming the fourth Bad Boys film, so He's maybe there's violence someone. in that. Yeah, we don't know. know. Maybe, hopefully there is in that one. Yeah. I mean, maybe it'll be a rom-com, who knows? There were a lot of <laughs> rom-coms actually in this Sony presentation, a lot of R-rated films. To skip ahead of it, I just want to bring up a quote from Tom Rothman. You know, he was talking about, you know, the more they say a genre is dead, the more we like it. Speaking of rom-coms, of R-rated films, you know, there's a lot of that sort of film in this presentation that we right. maybe have not seen be successful over the last few years. But Sony asks, is that because the genre is dead or is it just for a lack of trying? Yeah, for a lack of movies being out there. That's how the, the Sony presentation opens, a video introduction from Martin Lawrence and Will Smith. Rebecca mentions Tom Rothman, the chairman of Sony Pictures Entertainment. He joined the stage later on in the presentation. We'll be going that in a little bit. We didn't get to see anything from Bad Boys 4 other than that like well, nice welcoming it, message. You know, they're yeah. filming it. They're still in production. But coming out of the gates, it was Josh Greenstein, the co-president of the Motion Picture Group over at Sony Pictures Entertainment. He brought up a number, 23 movies that Sony's releasing 
exclusive to cinemas this year. Love to hear it. That's a great output. Absolutely. And we did, uh, we saw a pretty good range. I mean, obviously we did not see anything close to, <laughs> close for 23 movies. We would still be recording if that were the case. But yeah, we started off with a movie called Dumb Money from Craig Gillespie, who directed I, Tanya. You know, that's kind of a, a comedy based on a real life story of something that definitely impacted the cinema space for sure in a way that none of us uh, anticipated that being the surge of retail investors that kind of took over Reddit uh, for for a while there. Shout out to the Ape Army. I know you guys are listening. Hashtag AMC. I mean, this specifically was about it started with GameStop. Yeah. And And it's not about you guys. Sorry. It's about the other stock. Yeah. Yeah. This is about GameStop, but we know the sequel is the AMC movie. We know the sequel is is who's going to play Adam Aaron. I don't know. I don't know, man. I've got some ideas for our friend Ryan Noonan. I've got some casting ideas. Ryan, I'll tell you later. But uh, but yeah, we got to see about five minutes of Dumb Money. I, it had vibes of the big short. Big, 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 big short vibes. Yeah. There you go. I had a good time watching those five minutes. Uh, Seth Rogen is in it. Uh, Paul Dano is in it. Like Rebecca says, it's about the GameStop retail investor phenomenon that happened. I'm bullish on this one. I think it's going to get a nice little bit of support based on just the five minutes we saw. It wasn't on my radar before. Now it is. I mean, it's about, you know, scrappy people who know the title dumb money that refers to some people in the finance industry refer to like individual investors as dumb money, you know, obviously very derisively. But it's an underdog story about these individual investors, you know going a good chunk of the way towards uh, <laughs> bankrupting hedge funds. One of the, Vincent D'Onofrio you have playing Steve Cohen, one of these Mets owner, Steve Cohen. Mets, you didn't even, yeah. come on, you're a Mets fan. You didn't want to address that? I'm torn, you know. I like seeing, seeing uh, you know, an underdog succeed, but I also I like I like seeing Mets. your underdog team get eliminated first round of the playoffs. That's it's, fine, too. There's no problem what? with that. Let's leave the baseball aside. We're, we're going to end up fighting by the end of this episode. Let's move on to the second title that Sony presented here in the Insidious franchise, Insidious, The Red Door. We saw the trailer for it, the original cast coming back a decade after the first film in the series. I haven't seen a single one of these. Have you? What's your take on this? I'm going to be completely honest with you here, and I apologize to any studio friends who are listening to this. I know I have seen the, the first Insidious and several others. There's also the Conjuring franchise. Oh, they which overlap? Is, no, they're completely different, but they share actors. I think Lynn oh, Shea's been in both Catch of Wills. Oh, you can't tell them apart. That's I'm, even uh, worse. I'm confused. Maybe there's yeah. a cross. There's ghosts in it. You know my mantra, Rebecca. Ghosts. Robots. Robots. Yeah. It's really not zombies. Zombies, zombies, you know, sometimes you get burned by zombies. Mm. But if there's a ghost in it, if there's a robot in it, it might not be good. But it's not a waste of time. It's worth watching. Well, no robots in Insidious the Red Door that were present in the trailer. That we know of. seeing a lot of ghosts. Pay your $20 movie ticket to find out. $3 if you're lucky. Let's go to the third film that we saw here in the presentation. The Machine by a comedian I've never heard of. I've heard of this guy. I know know this. What's going on here? I know the backstory here, actually. This is original IP. So Bert Kreischer, who stars in the film, kind of about, he's a stand-up comedian who had a routine that went viral a few years back about how he was a dumb 20-something in Russia and just kind of got like caught up with the Russian mob. They called him the machine, like that was their nickname for him and he didn't speak Russian, he He was just like wandering through this Russian mob story. And what this movie kind of presupposes is, okay, it's decades down the line, the Russian mob wants him back. So it's a sequel that didn't happen to something that did. Um, (laughs) Mark Hamill is in it, uh, playing uh, Burt Kreischer's father, also in the mix with Russians. I don't know, I mean, it's 
it's original. I well, I don't. If it's an original IP, if it's know. based off a stand-up comedy sure. routine, I don't know. It's close. It has to be funny. That's all it has to be. We'll figure out if it is or not when it comes out. The original, uh, it was funny. I really, it was. A, he's a good storyteller. I'll have to check it out on YouTube. Maybe that's part of the conversation, right? Mm. You know, when we talk about the influence of social media marketing. A lot of these stand-up routines find an audience on like Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, that may be a factor here to help out this title. What won't need too much help is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. We saw the first 14 minutes of footage at CinemaCon on Monday night. I, I don't know if it was the first 14, was it? No, it wasn't the first 14. We saw 14 oh, minutes, first, you're right. Yeah, the, for okay. the first time we saw 14 minutes yeah. of footage. Dude, it looks good. I mean, we were up in the press row and I think for sure, like people were about to faint. <laughs> Everyone was really up in the press uh, press side, was really excited for Spider-Man Across the Universe for seeing any footage at all. We did have uh, one of the three co-directors, Kemp Powers, on deck there to present this footage, along with some of the voice actors, Shamik Moore, impeccably dressed, wonderful. Best-dressed man <laughs> Best in CinemaCon so far, Cinema until so far. we run into Juice Burt from uh, Kinepolis. He's always a tough one to beat. He's always a tough one to beat. It yeah. might be Shamik Moore this year. Yeah, well, Shamik we'll see. Moore, Haley I haven't run into Juice yet. You know, we'll see, we'll see we'll eventually. See. But yeah, uh, some of the cast and one of the co-directors on deck to present this footage with Kent Powers saying that the big screen is, quote, the only place this film deserves to be seen. Daniel, you interviewed him. I interviewed him, but it was for Soul, which ended up going oh, streaming. So man. you interviewed him for a film that is actually still going theatrical. But Soul was really good. You know, I know it didn't do a theatrical, but it was really good. Yes, I interviewed Kemp Powers, the co-director of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, in our in our current uh, print edition that's now here at CinemaCon. Great conversation. You'll find it at boxofficepro.com during release week. And if you're a subscriber to our magazine, you can find that in that issue. You know, Kemp loves the movie-going experience. You can see his passion for it. And, you know, this is a guy that the last two movies that he's been involved with, either as a co-director or a writer, were films that were supposed to have a theatrical run and were released during the pandemic Soul and, and didn't. And One Night in Miami, which yeah. ended up being, I believe that was Amazon? Amazon. So this means a lot to him, to have a movie like this hit theaters, and you could see that energy. And who knows, you know, by, again, by the end of the week, once we see the sartorial choices of all our colleagues, as we mentioned, maybe Shamik Moore gets the box office pro David Passman fashion icon <laughs> of CinemaCon award. It's a real award I'm going to come up with at some point That's a on deep Wednesday cut night. Joke. That is a yeah, deep cut yeah. Joke. David Passman <laughs> joke, man. I know that that goes back uh, a number of years. <laughs> but uh, before I get in trouble, let's go back to the other Spider-Man well, title we saw from. Uh, yeah, I mean, what can we say about the footage? It looked great. Of course, we know it was going to look great. This is one of the, I think, the most anticipated films of the year for both of us. Mm -hmm. I mean, you still have that visual style. It's just amazing. We saw kind of an extended sequence of, you know, web slinging action through the streets of New York. Yeah. It looked great. It looked amazing. It looked wonderful. But that's not all of Spider-Man that's happening this year for Sony. They've got their spinoff universe of Marvel Spider-Man villains. The next one up is Craven the Hunter, starring Aaron Taylor Johnson. He showed up in a nice video presentation. We saw the first ever footage for this title. It looked like a trailer to me. It's Yeah, they said footage. It, was, it seemed like a trailer. I yeah, I mean, it looked good. It's it gory. Good. It is, by the way, it's rated R. That was announced. And that's a yeah. big deal, apparently. I didn't well, know it was a in, big deal. In the, in the press area, there were, uh, I think the guy next to me was like, yes. So oh my God, get a life, dude. Sorry. Question. Did you know him? <laughs> 
know. I didn't. Funny. I don't know. Yeah. But, you know. But no, seriously, like, come on. It's rated Who cares? Well, apparently uh, this Raven the Hunter character is like the best, the most magnificent hunter in the Marvel Sony Spider-Verse. He bites <laughs> off a dude's nose in the trailer. A lot of blood. I, I'm, into, I'm into that. I'm into just like, you know, a strong R hard R action movie. And, and it looks like this is going to be it, right? And hopefully that means, I mean, Venom 3, if when that happens, we can go R-rated there because yeah. Tom Hardy deserves that. We could benefit from it. In this Craven the Hunter movie, we got a peek at another super villain from the Spider-Man universe, the Rhino. Uh, if you remember, there was a version of a Rhino character in one of the Mark Webb Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man movies, played by the, Paul the Giamatti. Second one, the, the second, second one, one, I think, yeah. It was yeah. Paul Giamatti in a, like, giant robotic rhino suit. And a terrible Russian accent, but my God, do I miss that. We need more bad accents in movies. Well, I'll bring that, I'll remind you, uh, remind you of that statement when we get to the final film in the Sony presentation, because <laughs> yes. it is relevant. We, we will get to bad accents shortly, but we do have other R-rated movies, but... R-rated romantic comedies, endangered species here. When's the last time you saw an R-rated comedy? Must have been Ted, Ted, Ted like the last one that worked. Well, I think it's the first Ted. I might be wrong about this. Well, I don't know, Bridesmaids, no, was that? No, that wasn't R. I can't yeah, come Bridesmaids up with Bridesmaids was one. R, Bridesmaids was yeah? R. Yeah, okay. I mean, I feel like the Deadpool movies, I, 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 sure, they're yeah. comedies, they're yeah. comedies. Yeah, that um, counts. I mean, the, or at sequel. I mean, it was successful True. in metrics of streaming True. and got a freaking ass, uh, you know, Oscar nomination for the supporting actress there. But yeah, we just have not seen a whole lot of people try to do R-rated rom-coms recently. This one, No we Hard have, Feelings. We have two, actually. We have No Hard Feelings, mm -hmm. this one. And that's with uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Gene Stepinski, who were in attendance. Yeah, Gene Stepinski uh, directing this film. He directed a film called Bad Boys, a few, uh, Bad Boys, I think is the title of it. Not Will Smith one, the one with uh, Jason, uh, Jacob Tremblay, the adorable little kid from Room. Oh, but yeah, it, it's, it's the Little Boys That Curse. The that Little movie. Boys That Curse sure. movie. Well, this one I, is... I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, it looked fun. I don't even know if that's a title even. It might be. Uh, you know, correct us if we're wrong. But but what I, what I will say about what we saw from No Hard Feelings is it looks really funny. The footage that we saw, I think, got a lot of strong reactions. Jennifer Lawrence really showcased, I think, her comedic timing. It's basically... Jennifer Lawrence flirting with hapless men. As a hapless man, it gives me hope. Flirting with slash kidnapping, maybe. Okay, I'm not even against that, even. Uh, I hope my <laughs> wife isn't listening to this segment of it. But if, you know, uh, Jennifer Lawrence were ever to flirt with a hapless man such as myself, even go to the extent of kidnapping them, I might not complain too loudly. Yeah. When that appeared to be kind of a big part of it's something that they're emphasizing in the marketing campaign for this film that it is a big comeback movie for jennifer lawrence mm -hmm. and that she is doing just a straight out body comedy for the yeah. first time which considering like when she first rose to fame a big part of why people love her so much is that she's a funny person so yeah. it's kind of like why did this not already happen sometime before but anyways june 23rd we'll be able to see it in theaters and the second r-rated romantic comedy anyone but you I've got questions about this one because one of the things that Tom Rothman, the chairman of Sony Pictures Entertainment, said when he took the stage is uh, he said that everybody says, all the pundits out there say that the romantic comedy is dead and they say that movie stars no longer exist in the streaming era. This is both an R-rated romantic comedy and it's a movie with what seemed to be breakout stars. Glenn Powell coming out of that breakthrough role in Top Gun Maverick. A CinemaCon uh 
This is his second CinemaCon at this point. He's a regular. He's a regular at this point. And Sydney Sweeney, she was there in person. Uh, first time me seeing Sydney Sweeney in person. I don't think I'll forget that moment. Yeah, that Sydney Sweeney yeah. is a real person. I think a lot of us were left speechless. They're two very attractive people. And the way that the footage opens that we saw mm-hmm. is both Glenn Powell, attractive by his own right, and Sydney Sweeney, with very little clothing on. That's the first thing that we saw of this movie in terms of footage. Yeah. Two human beings that are just abnormally attractive with as little close thing as possible. And not to get into, you know, trashy celebrity gossip because we are not that podcast. We're we're Should about be. we're about uh, you know, trashy executive gossip. No, we're not. Um, but there are like rumors circulating around at the time. I just cracked the David Passman joke, all right? That's the podcast we are. Uh, But apparently there are like, you know, rumors probably probably unsubstantiated that they're like, they're having a little something going on behind the scenes. They're too attractive to date each other. No. No, no. They have to date uglier people so we all feel better That's some Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt mystery with the snitch action. Like, they're going to have good chemistry. Yeah, or I hope so. It it looks like they might from the footage we saw. This is a movie with Two exciting actors in a romantic comedy that's R-rated. I'm excited to see it. It's just... It's hot people in beautiful Australia on boats, on beaches. Sometimes, I mean, we saw that with the uh, the Julia Roberts, George Clooney movie uh, that came out last year. You just need beautiful people on boats doing beautiful people things. Yeah. Drinking some sort of like fancy that's- wine. Off that, a sort of glass I've never seen before. That's all. That's all we we plebs want. And you can pay a ticket to see that movie that's coming out. Uh, when do we have a release date for this? I don't have it immediately here. Well, you can check out online boxofficepro.com and our release schedule to see when anyone but you is hitting theaters. I'm excited to see it. That's another movie that wasn't on my radar that now is. What I also liked from the footage presentation here, though we didn't see much, was a video message for the Ghostbusters sequel. We had some stars there, Jason Reitman coming in introducing the movie, and Paul Rudd and the stars from the original, they're back. The movie's still untitled. Correct me if I'm wrong, Rebecca, that Ghostbusters sequel, that's not coming out until Christmas time this year. Yeah, we've spoken about this in the past. That really speaks to Sony's confidence uh, in the film. Certainly the first one was very well received, certainly by exhibitors. I mean, if you remember a few years back, this was Jason Reitman and his late father, Ivan, were the pretty much only people who actually came to CinemaCon that year when it was... I'm always going to have like a lot of appreciation, like genuinely a lot of appreciation for that. They stepped up when nobody else would Mm -hmm. in that Sony presentation. And And this time around we have this going back to New York City, uh, the action of... of Oh, so it's confirmed. It's set in New York City, the sequel. Oh, that's going to be fun. Mm -hmm. I'm going to geek out on what locations we get to see. And talking about throwbacks to that CinemaCon presentation that we had in 2021, uh, that August CinemaCon, that rescheduled August 2021 CinemaCon, We'll all remember that CinemaCon as the Tom Rothman mic drop CinemaCon. (laughs) He had another great moment here on stage, the chairman of Sony Pictures Entertainment, starting off by being very smart, giving the Wellfleet Drive-In a shout out uh, over in Cape Cod. That's owned and operated by friend of the podcast, John Vincent Jr., the president of the Drive-In Theater Owners Association. And he had some really good quotes here. You mentioned uh, about Sony's willingness to go in and make the type of movies that everyone is saying don't work at the box office anymore. A quote that I really liked that he said is, originality is always a risk, but the bigger risk is boring the audience with sameness. And that is the gamble that Sony is taking in 2023. They're coming with things to theaters 
that you haven't seen for a while. 23 of these titles, a very diverse slate. Yeah, some of them, a lot of them are franchises, but a lot of them also are original IP. So like The Machine, honestly, that was one of my highlights from this presentation, just because I didn't really know what to expect. Though one thing that you always kind of uh, reliable, you know you're going to expect it, Denzel Washington just brings the house down every time. Oh, yeah. We had Denzel Washington showing up in person to accept a Lifetime Achievement Award here at CinemaCon. Before coming on, I think Tom Rothman prefaced this by saying a great quote in his bet for Sony Slate in 2023. He said, quote, movie stars still exist. They're just rare. Streamers don't create movie stars. Only global hit movies do. Yep. And that's definitely that Sony strategy coming in. And that's what led us in to Antoine Fuqua, the director of uh, The Equalizer 3, giving Denzel Washington the award for the Lifetime Achievement here at CinemaCon in person. It wasn't a standing ovation. It was a huge ovation, a very warm reception from standing. the crowd. I was trying to, like, poke my head over to look into the It's hard the to tell from, like, the media, like, rafters where we're in. It looked like people were standing up to me. There's a very, very warm reception there. Very appreciative, Denzel Washington. And the footage of The Equalizer 3, you know I'm a big action movie fan. Mm. Mm-hmm. It looks awesome. It looks so good. I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Uh, September that's... 1st, coming out in IMAX. I in assume IMAX. that's how you're going to see it. Denzel Washington fights the mafia. Denzel Washington versus the mafia. Mafia. I mean, my money's on Denzel. Always. Every day. It reminds me, honestly, it reminds me a lot of these throwback exploitation movies mm-hmm. uh, from the 70s that I love and adore. And One of my is... favorite classes in graduate school at NYU was taking a exploitation class mm-hmm. with Ed Guerrero. I love the genre. There seems to be a lot of that in the spirit of The Equalizer 3. I can't wait to see it. This is one that looks like, you know, Denzel Washington, The Equalizer. Oh, he was in retirement. He was happy. But wait, it's a formula, (laughs) but it's a formula that works. It works all the time. Don't don't fix it. You know, it it doesn't need fixing. I mean, another movie that they brought up that I'm kind of like, I'm going to let Daniel opine on this one because I know that you are a huge fan of racing. We have also uh, the first footage that we've seen from Gran Turismo, which I know uh, Russ Fisher, of Box Office Studios, who is sometimes on this podcast, brought up. Gran Turismo is a racing simulator. Apparently an incredibly accurate one, but still a racing simulator. There's no plot. How are they going to make a movie from a game that has no plot? They actually specifically addressed this uh, in the presentation <laughs> with stars David Harbour and Orlando Bloom coming out. Like, no, no, guys, this movie has a plot. It's meta. It's based on the real story of someone who played the video game, who was really good at it. And then there was this program where people who were really good at Gran Turismo got the opportunity to see how they could handle actually racing real cars. And yeah, so he actually got to do this and he became quite successful at it. And I don't know, you go on with the racing. This Lewis Hamilton guy. Lewis Hamilton, who races for Ferrari, an F1 driver, legendary F1 driver. He's a fan of the game. He plays the game. It's the type of game that professional race car drivers play. Just to give you an idea of like how accessible it is, not the most accessible game, but the movie does look accessible for a general audience. It seems to be like rocky, but for like video game nerds that race cars. It's a sports movie. Yeah, you know, there might be something there. We'll see how that plays out in August when it hits theaters. And then I think the big, big movie mm-hmm. that closes the presentation. We talked about this we in our preview we episode. To see we weren't sure. I'm glad we did. We got to see quite a bit. Mm-hmm. It wasn't 15 minutes, but it was enough footage to get excited. We're talking about Ridley Scott's Napoleon, an Apple 
title that's going to be distributed by Sony in November, the sort of date where you have to guess this movie is going to hit the festival circuit. It's going to pop up in Telluride, Toronto, maybe the New York Film Festival. It just looks like one of those titles poised for that spot on the calendar. From what we saw, desaturated, not that many colors working, but man, a fantastic battle sequence. Oh, man. I mean, it's Ridley Scott. What can Ridley Scott not do? You know, backwards with heels on if he needed to, probably. No, this footage looked amazing. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix playing at Napoleon Bonaparte. Bringing it back to the accents, not attempting to do a French accent. Made me think of, like, Robert Pattinson in The King with Netflix. Oh, He's crazy the best French accent. French accent of all time. It's like the level of French accent that the House of Gucci brings yeah. to Italian accents. Last Napoleon time Ridley Scott, because he did House of Gucci, last time Ridley Scott did accents... We were left with a great performance by many actors, Lady Gaga, Adam Driver. We had iconic accents uh, in that movie. Not in this one. No. I didn't notice a comic French accent from Joaquin this, Phoenix. This is definitely from the footage we saw. Felt uh, felt more Gladiator. Felt a lot Gladiator. A lot more than uh, House of Gucci. The sound was amazing on this thing. You bring up Gladiator. There's definitely Gladiator vibes, right? Cool. But Gladiator vibes had that warm color palette. A lot of those like tan and like browns and like yellows, that mm -hmm. golden hue, that bright blue sky. This is complete opposite. We're talking about gray, white, dark Listen, from it, what it we is, saw. It is a battle scene set in like a snowy winter setting. So. And, but it looked like a set piece, honestly, that you could have seen in something like Ladder. I just can't wait to see it. I think there's going to be a lot of potential for this title mm -hmm. coming out in November. And Tom Rothman emphasized that, quote, the film will be released worldwide at Thanksgiving with a robust theatrical window and a full throttle marketing campaign before moving on to wait Apple wait TV wait that, that, should, that should be the headline here you mean Apple the guys that brought you Coda the most Did expensive they? acquisition of all time at Sundance and the one best picture winner that I think the least people in the world have seen this is the company that is working with Sony to bring in a title with a robust exclusive theatrical window and a real marketing campaign behind it. We didn't see it in their Best Picture winner, but we're seeing it now. This is the evolution. This is where things are seems, in 2023 like as opposed listening. to 21. Sony's listening. The industry is changing. I mean, we've seen a lot of crazy stuff over these last few years. Well, Apple's learning from that mistake. And yeah. I think that's what, that's what we called for, right? How are we going to see streamers react after the pandemic business conditions change? After we get back to a regular release schedule after theatrical is back hitting its marks and we're seeing Apple react accordingly, pivot accordingly, working with a studio like Sony to distribute this title with, like you said, an exclusive theatrical window and a robust theatrical campaign pointing viewers to go see it at the movies where it should be. That's, I think, my takeaway from the Sony presentation is that we're seeing a studio that in 2021 was the first one up in the studio presentations, was the first one up to say, we believe in theatrical to and have, in exclusivity. To have a film to screen and to have talent to come out and be there. Yeah. I mean, it was something that, that was brought up during the Sony presentation several times. And, you know, they deserve to like pat themselves on the back that they were the ones who stood by theatrical yeah. <laughs> the yeah. whole time, really, when, when that was not necessarily a popular thing to do. And, uh, you know, guess what? They were proven right. So, And I'll close this part of, of the podcast with a, Quote from uh, Josh Greenstein in, in his address here at CinemaCon at the Sony presentation. 
He was addressing how Sony never wavered their commitment to theaters and to exclusivity. He said, quote, and now other studios are realizing the value of exclusive theatrical windows and are reversing course. Now even some streamers are giving their best films exclusive theatrical runs. Oh, how the times have changed. What a difference two years, a Top Gun, a Spider-Man, and an Avatar makes. This is where we are in 2023, a great kickoff. And I think that leads us in, Rebecca, to our feature segment where we get to speak to the head of the Motion Picture Association to give us a macro overview of where theatrical stands in terms of the entire big picture of the industry. That's coming up shortly, our interview with Charlie Rifkin of the MPA. But first, we have a sponsored segment here from one of our advertisers, our supporting sponsor here, Park VIP. We've got a brief interview with them as part of our sponsored segment. That is coming up right after this break. And we are back here on the sponsored segment of the Box Office Podcast. We've got joining us today, Omar Khan, the head of Star Cinema Grill. is probably how you better know him. But he's also got a new project, Park VIP, alongside his colleague, Kevin Gornstein. Gentlemen, welcome to the Box Office Podcast. It's great to chat with you. A lot to go over, but let's start macro level here. Can you let us know what is Park VIP? Yeah, Park VIP is a parking technology that takes the frustration out of finding a parking space, you know, at movie theaters. So just like patrons can go on your website or your app and purchase a movie ticket and reserve their seats in advance, Park VIP allows them to do exactly that, right? So they could follow that same ticket flow and reserve a parking space far in advance, knowing that they're going to the movie theater. Now, Omar, you have a lot of investments and a lot of success innovating in the out-of-home entertainment space, both in restaurants and in movie theaters. You're getting into the parking experience. How did that idea come through? How did it get started? I've been in the industry for a long time and you know, we've seen a lot of advancements in technology and food and beverage and recliners and projectors and sound systems and all these different segments of our industry. But nobody's really ever focused on the outside the four walls, right? So we really wanted to work on that and create a better experience for our guests as they came to the movies and starting that experience outside versus just inside. It reminds me of this quote that the uh, cinema architect, S. Charles Lee, would say, the show starts on the sidewalk. And I think what Park VIP brings to the table is that the show starts at the parking lot where a lot of folks really get into that experience. Kevin, could you explain who Park VIP is for? We created Park VIP for a guest that is looking for an all-around premium experience. For example, it's the mom taking the kids to the movies that wants to feel safe and park up front. It's a date night, you know, the customer with family, with kids wanting the convenience of reserving their space in advance, not circling around for 10, 15 minutes. It could also be an elderly couple that just doesn't want to walk across the entire parking lot. It's very easy to use. So there are two ways a guest can reserve a park VIP space. One way is through a Park VIP app that's downloadable through Google and Apple Store. Another way is we're integrated directly into the movie theater ticket flow. So, for example, a guest goes to the movie theater website, their movie, their show times, their seats. 
And now they have an option to reserve a VIP parking space. Park VIP sends them a link that allows them to access their space once they arrive. They park and they uh, go ahead and enjoy their movie. Simple enough. It just reminds me of so much of the investments that we're seeing from movie theaters today, making it easier for that consumer to go and forget about everything outside, just go and enjoy a movie. Omar, having a circuit, you can answer this question best. What is the benefit of Park VIP for exhibitors? You know, for the exhibitors that are interested, it creates a new revenue stream that they haven't seen before, right? And the revenue side of it is just one thing. And we talked a little bit about the benefit to the guest or the moviegoer. We talked about that, right? Ultimately, on the exhibitor side, you know, it's another revenue stream. There's really no cost to the exhibitor. And we manage 100% of its maintenance and care. And the exhibitor gets to enjoy a easy passive income stream. And, you know, what I kind of think about when I think about Park VIP and its fees to reserve parking spaces, it takes me back to when we started reserve seating and we started that functionality of our business. It added such a great value and, you know, economic benefit to our business where guests could go online and reserve their seats for a fee. And I don't envision Park VIP being any different than that, right? And so ultimately, the benefit to the exhibitor is that Park VIP takes care of A to Z. There's no cost to the exhibitor, and they get to enjoy that passive income. Now, we have to bring this up because I know a lot of folks, the one thing they don't want to go through is any issues with their cars. Kevin, have there been any cars damaged, any liability issues around using a service like Park VIP? That's definitely a legitimate concern that people may have. You know, I can say that since the implementation of Park VIP, we are proud to say that we've never had any car damage. While the unit was created to withstand cars running over it constantly without any issues, the design and mechanics of Park VIP were created in a very specific way to eliminate any possibility of damaging a car. So there's nothing to worry about. You guys are going to have a presence at CinemaCon, at the trade show. How can exhibitors get in touch with you to find out more? Yeah, it's pretty simple, Daniel. I mean, you know, they would just go to our website. It's uh, parkvip.app and fill out the contact form. A salesperson will be in touch within 24 hours to go over how to get the exhibitor implemented. We are going to be at CinemaCon and we're looking forward to meeting everyone. And please stop by. The booth is uh, 1016J and we look forward to meeting everyone. Wonderful. Thanks so much. Thank you, Daniel. And we're back here on the Box Office Podcast for another CinemaCon edition here from Las Vegas, speaking with the Motion Picture Association's Charlie Rivkin. Charlie, thank you for coming back. It's great to talk to you again. It's great to have these like annual check-ins to see uh, the state of where things are. Daniel, it's great being back on the podcast. Thank you for including me this year again. Yeah, let's get right into it because I know there's a lot of topics we want to get into today. Let's start with a macro question. Where's the entertainment industry as a whole today? And what is your assessment of the theatrical sector's recovery in context of this entertainment ecosystem as a whole? You know, I've been thinking about that. And I, I think your audience would agree that the film, TV, and streaming industry today is proving once again, that we're one of the most innovative, resilient, creative communities on the planet. 
Because you know what? Over a hundred years, we've seen everything from cultural revolutions, paradigm shifts in technology, advances in distribution models. I mean, changes in consumer tastes and behavior. And, and as we've done every time, we're now evolving and growing stronger. Because, and you mentioned about the theatrical side of the business. Well, I'll tell you, I think the theatrical side of the business is still recovering, but its trend line is very positive. The success of Top Gun Maverick and more recently, Avatar, The Way of Water, which, by the way, now stands as the third highest grossing film in history at $2.3 billion. But not to mention the new release of Super Mario, which had the largest worldwide opening for an animated film in history, tells you a whole lot. And it confirms once again the value of the theatrical openings and the reality that audiences are hungry for that cinema experience. You know, Daniel Nato predicted, and we agree, that in the US and Canada alone, the number of Wide theatrical releases is going to increase by about 40% in 2023. So I'm really confident about the future of theaters as part of the larger uh, creative economy because there's a communal value in watching movies that we've talked about before in this podcast, sharing the experience with friends and strangers that's baked into us as humans, and it's never going to go away. I think that's wonderfully put, Charlie. And as you note, we are seeing that this isn't just us thinking about the potential. This recovery is a reality. We're seeing more films hit theaters. We're seeing more audiences return to theaters. And with that in the background, I know the MPA has a number of priorities and projects in 2023. You're coming off a centennial year, starting the second century of the Motion Picture Association. What are your major priorities and projects for the rest of this year? Our priorities are actually pretty consistent over the last century. We advocate for storytellers and their artistic freedom, and we ensure that our members can produce and distribute their content anywhere in the world. And you know what? We protect that content by combating digital piracy in every corner of the globe. And this means that we fight for strong copyright law and IP protections around the world, and we shut down illegal streaming subscription websites and their operators. We work with local coalitions from New York to Hawaii to enhance and preserve incentives that create thousands of middle-class jobs and pump millions of dollars into local economies. We generate over two and a half million jobs in all 50 states for America. And recently, for example, Governor Pritzker signed a 10-year extension of the Illinois Film Incentive Program until 2033, which is going to ensure that that state continues to attract production. And, you know, we also help our members expand their access to overseas markets so they can deliver their content to audiences everywhere in the world. And as you say, piracy is a constant. It's a constantly evolving threat and an existential threat to our industry. But our coalition, which we call the Alliance for Creativity and Entertainment, or ACE, is leading a global mission to end it. Because, and I'm not sure if, if we've talked about this recently, Daniel, but in just six years, ACE has grown to more than 50 media and entertainment companies, which work with law enforcement and other partners to shut down piracy operations wherever they are. And these, these 50, this is the Motion Picture Association's big six, Disney, Warner Brothers Discovery, NBC Universal, Sony, Netflix, Paramount. But it also adds Canal Plus, Amazon Prime, Apple TV Plus, France Television in France, Constantine Film in Germany, BBC in the UK, you know, BN TV in Qatar, Grupo Globo, Brazil, Telemundo, Televisa, Univision. I mean, this is a global coalition and there's never been anything like it and it's really making some progress. And we know that piracy is an issue that affects every corner 
of the industry. From hourly wage workers at movie theaters that see box office grosses shrink whenever a pristine digital copy hits theaters, to creatives working and relying on this ecosystem being as competitive as it is. We know the evolution of piracy has really changed and ramped up in the digital era. ACE was created in response to that, to step up to that challenge. Could you share with us, Charlie, what the biggest piracy threats facing the industry today are? What do they look like? Because in the past, we have this idea of camcording being a a huge issue. Today, that digital evolution has changed the face of this. You know, I think back on Jack Valenny, who was one of the great leaders of the Motion Picture Association, had the job for almost 40 years. And in his memoirs, Jack talks about, you know, DVDs being the threat to our industry and how times have changed, right? Because the piracy threats right now are driven by criminal enterprises, global criminal enterprises that handle prostitution, child pornography, sex trafficking, money laundering. These are really bad guys running very, very sophisticated operations. You can actually uh, stream rip a movie digitally in less than four seconds and upload it shortly thereafter. And because these illegal operators are adapting to these technologies. And so the only way to fight them is in our partnership with law enforcement. And also, you know, we're targeting illegal operators, you know, that rip content from the streaming services. We're regularly shutting down illegal services that upload this operations. You know, talking about partnering with local police forces, an example of that is the Spanish National Police recently gave me, on behalf of the Motion Picture Association, their highest honor because of the work we did in Spain. We have hundreds of people in our association working on the dark web and identifying these guys and working hand in glove with, you know, with local law enforcement. And also, you know, piracy operators like the guys I just talked about try to leverage new technologies to create anonymity using different intermediaries to run their business. And so we expanded our toolkit to break through this anonymity through, you know, a coordinated global approach, working with our partners. And, you know, and also you mentioned, you know, uh, camcording. We're still working with theater managers to target organized groups that record movies on camcording. Yes, the threat has evolved, but that still exists too, Daniel, and, and we're fighting that too. And you know what else? We're focusing now on uh, piracy of sports matches and other live programming, which is uh, a growing and continuing threat to sports leagues and networks around the world. We just, I mentioned BNTV a minute ago from Qatar. We brought them in and we're looking, you know, to announce more sports leagues pretty soon to join our coalition. And that's a huge issue, as you note, especially as we see the sports rights evolution going to some more streaming players, the investment that your members, uh, these media companies, invest in sports rights, that becoming a new evolution. It's great to see Ace tackling these uh, issues, getting results on them as well. As we said, it's not just well wishes. You mentioned the Spanish police coming in, representing. We've seen some big headlines of Ace in Latin America in Asia, a great evolution of how the MPA has really been stepping up and tackling that topic. But of course, the job, Charlie, isn't just the stressful multinational and global issues that you have to tackle. You also represent the largest studios and film companies in the world. The job comes with some perks. You get to enjoy going to the movies once in a while without putting you on the spot. What's been your own fondest memory of going back to the theaters uh, over the past couple of years? Well, I I still have in my head the magical experience of going to movies as a kid, which was one of my favorite things to do, as I think children all all over America feel today. But you asked about recently, and it's true, I'm traveling quite a bit and uh, don't have a ton of time to go to the actual theaters. But I will tell you that every time I walk into the -the state-of-the-art theater that the Motion Picture Associations has created in Washington, D.C., 
I really feel that boundless magic of movies and the, the joy of watching them in a, in a theater together. I mean, our theater in DC, which Daniel, you have to visit if you haven't seen it already, is a real showpiece. It's a gathering place. It's a place where Hollywood meets Washington and people come together, thanks to our movies, to you know honestly see the world in new and different ways. And when I watch a movie there, I'm reminded about the role I'm honored to play. In some ways, the chairman of the Motion Picture Association is Hollywood's ambassador to Washington and to the world at large. And when you walk in, you feel that. What you'll see, for those in the audience that haven't been to our global headquarters in Washington, you now see Wonder Woman, actual outfit in a case in the lobby, Aquaman is there, Batgirl on the Batgirl bike, Transformer head, Spider-Man just arrived. We have uh, Tom Cruise's helmet from Top Gun Maverick. We have Jurassic World Dominion dinosaurs. And uh, we're going to have stormtroopers coming pretty soon as well. (laughs) When you walk in, I mean, people are literally lined up outside our door in the morning asking our receptionist when the Hollywood Museum opens. (laughs) You know, we've been in this space for 100 years and we've never done anything like this as an association. So I'm very proud of it. And it really is a visible visible reminder of how this is where Hollywood meets Washington, and that magic is present in our theater. You better lock up those costumes before Halloween, Charlie. If your staff gets a hold of them, you know it's going to be an interesting October 31st. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've seen a lot of uh, changes in this industry, but we've also seen a lot of investment into the entertainment industry. Recently, we've seen some of uh, the world's most influential tech companies, not only Netflix, which is a content company, but e-commerce giants like Amazon and uh, technology companies like Apple investing into our sector, into the entertainment sector. What do you think that says about the entertainment industry as a whole as we exit and evolve from that pandemic? Well, look, to me, it says that the entertainment sector is poised for incredible growth and evolution. I mean, audiences around the world today want to watch high-quality movies and television shows on screens that are both large and small. And Apple TV Plus and Amazon, along with Netflix and all the MPM member studios, are investing in creative new ways to deliver that to them. Audiences continue to evolve. Look, their, their tastes, their habits, their preferences, their priorities, everything is influenced in part by the many advancements we've seen in technology. And as an industry, we have to keep pace with that evolution. And that's why I was so proud to recruit Netflix in 2019 to join the MPA, first ever streamer in the MPA, ensuring that the association continued to represent the full scale, the full scope of the industry. And we're working closely with Apple TV Plus and Amazon as members of ACE's uh, governing board. I mean, look, look, Daniel, the bottom line is that the MPA believes in the power of storytelling and creative content, regardless of how that movie and that content is distributed. And more investments from a more diverse spectrum of players is actually a great thing for the creative community. And it ensures that we're better equipped to deliver great films and TV shows to audiences around the world. And as NATO will attest, they don't cannibalize each other. People that have technological devices in their home are more likely to go to the theaters. It's a very unique and separate experience. We're just growing the pie by including these new members. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you can see that, I think, in any sector, right? If you're a sports fan, you'll want to go to the stadium and you'll want to catch a game at home once in a while. It's an ecosystem that feeds each other, that benefits from each other. And part of that is making sure that there are enough productions out there to be able to make it to theaters. We've already discussed earlier in this conversation how we're really expecting those numbers to ramp up this year. And the MPA is actually an organization that actively works to promote production incentives to ensure that we can get more movies 
and a more diverse array of movies into our theaters. If you look at the box office today, Charlie, we're coming off titles like family animated ones, Super Mario Brothers, uh, an action title, John Wick 4, Scream 6, Horror. Then you've got Dungeons and Dragons, comedy. You've got all of these different genres thanks to this great activity going back into production, making sure that we can get movies back into theaters. Could you talk a little bit about those production incentives that the MPA fights for and why they're so important to our ecosystem? It's incredibly important to our ecosystem. And you know what, Daniel, the great thing about production incentives is that they benefit both our industry and the states and cities whose, you know, where production takes place. I mean, they create fantastic jobs, high paying jobs. They increase tax revenue. They support small businesses. They draw tourism, cultural exposure, cultural tourism, in fact, from the biggest cities to the smallest and remote communities. In New York, for example, productions generate more than $9 in spending for every $1 of investment. That's a heck of a return. Studios that I represent are expanding everyone's access to stories from around the world, from everywhere. They're co-producing and investing in local language productions now that captivate global audiences. And to tell their stories in ever more authentic and innovative ways, producers you know, find that perfect location in an incredibly competitive global marketplace of production incentives. So what we do is we help them by ensuring that they make the best possible business decisions in scouting a a location, as I recall, for for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. I was told that Disney Marvel Studios returned to the state of Georgia in part because of its incentive program, which is really a gold standard in many ways. And in turn, Wakanda Forever generated more than $314 million to the local economy and created more than 1,800 local jobs. In the same way, Paramount Pictures returned to California for Top Gun Maverick, which added about $150 million to the state and created about 3,000 jobs to California. And one final thing, when a movie is made anywhere in the United States, a major motion picture, it pumps about $250,000 a day into the local economy. And you know, this is not you know, just this investment is going to the blue collar workers. It's going to hairdressers and, and makeup artists and construction workers, set designers, electricians, the below the line talent. That's what's happening. This is a job creating machine thanks to the incentives. And Charlie, of course, as we enter this CinemaCon, I think it's going to be a bittersweet for a lot of us that have been in this industry for a number of years. The current president and CEO of the National Association of Theater Owners, John Fithian, is retiring at the end of this week. You've worked with John for many years now. He's been at NATO for over 30 years. Of course, as a colleague, how would you describe John's impact and influence across this industry? Well, Daniel, I know your listeners will agree with me when I say that John's impact and influence in this industry have been truly immeasurable. I mean, under his leadership for almost a quarter century, NATO has has worked side by side with the MPA through several challenges, including the industry's transition to digital cinema, a pandemic that shuttered theaters across the world, and as we discussed earlier, our continuing fight against uh, piracy. And guided by his vision, honestly, CinemaCon has grown into the most important annual gathering in the global cinema sector. And he's been a great partner for our rating system, which is now in its 55th year. And throughout that entire time, I've, I've relied on on John's counsel. And I'm proud to have partnered with him for the past uh, six years in so many ways. He's been a, a calming presence, advocating for solutions that work for everybody, while also underscoring the theatrical run of a movie establishes a brand of quality that leads to even greater business 
in its continuing life. Daniel, I am proud to have him as a friend. I think a lot of us are. It's It's been a, a great run and a great collaboration between NATO and the Motion Picture Association in recent years. You mentioned that longstanding partnership with CARA, the rating system that has remained an elective rating system that isn't enforced by law that allows creativity in Hollywood and allows uh, exhibitors to be able to address parents' concerns. There are many other situations where NATO and MPA work closely together, and you're going to have someone close by with a lot of MPA experience in their background taking over the role very soon. Starting in May, Michael O'Leary, an MPA veteran, will be taking over John's old job at NATO. Charlie, what can you tell us about Michael and his background, what he brings to the role? Well, look, I know Michael well because for almost a decade, he played a key leadership role at the MPA. I mean, he ultimately ended up leading our global policy and external affairs team and advanced a really ambitious agenda on behalf of our members. And many people on my team have very fond memories of working with him at what was then the MPAA. And he's uh, stayed in touch with us through his roles at Fox and ESA, the Electronic Software Association. So he's a, he's a very familiar and friendly face and we are really looking forward to working closely with him again. I just think NATO made a terrific choice in hiring Michael. Well, Charlie, I think we're all looking forward to seeing what those collaborations between them, the MPA and NATO look like in the coming months and years. We're all looking forward to seeing you up on stage uh, during CinemaCon on Tuesday at the Coliseum for the traditional State of the Industry address that uh, you share the stage there with NATO. Any parting words that you'd like to share with our audience? Look, I'm looking forward to being there as well. It's always a real highlight of the year for me, for the Motion Picture Association, and I hope to meet in person as many of your listeners as possible. Thanks for having me on today, Daniel. And that does it for this edition of the Box Office Podcast here in our daily CinemaCon edition presented by Ice Theaters. A big thanks to our partners at Ice Theaters and to Park VIP for supporting this podcast and this episode that we're doing here from Las Vegas. And a big thank you to our guest, Charlie Rifkin from the Motion Picture Association. We'll be back with another new episode of this podcast bright and early tomorrow morning. Take care and we will talk to you soon. 